Good morning. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to read uh, parts of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and then all of chapter 5. It's on page 182, I think, in the Pew Bibles. So it's quite a long reading, but if you can bear with us and uh, let's hear what God's Word has to say to us. So Deuteronomy 4, starting at verse 1. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees, and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. In verse 32, chapter 4. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you. And that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. In chapter 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. 
It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honour your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife. You shall not set your desires on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me. And you said, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people have said to you. Everything they said was good. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go, tell them to return to their tents, but you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws that you are to teach them to follow in the land I am giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So, thanks for bearing with me. That was a rather long reading, but I think we need to get the full picture of what God's saying here. Are you the sort of person who can't resist entering competitions? even if you really aren't interested in whatever the prize is. I remember as a child and teenager that I was quite into competitions. I liked the challenge and the prospect of winning. And I liked competitions that had defined puzzles or questions. 
And I used to groan and, and usually give up if after you answered the questions, you came to something like, tell us why you like product X in less than 10 words. That never appealed to me. 10 words. I used to obsess over, well, which were the right 10 words? Which was the right answer? And how could you ever say enough in just 10 words? Well, what we've read in our passage this morning is the 10 words that say it all. We usually think about the Ten Commandments, but the more literal translation is the Ten Words, or even just the words. If you remember back to two weeks ago, Joel introduced our mini-series in Deuteronomy. And the law, or the, the Torah, as the Jews called it, was viewed as the greatest gift of love from God. And Deuteronomy was the first book taught to Jewish children. It's the starting point for learning and knowing about God, and it's the foundation of what it means to be the people of God. And Joel talked about misconceptions that we can have when we come to think of the law. And nowhere perhaps is that more critical than when we come to think of the Ten Commandments. Perhaps even for us as Christians, our initial response, our thoughts are negative. We think of lists of do's and don'ts. We think of burdens and commands, a harsh, judgmental Old Testament God, and we are relieved that we are New Testament believers. We are thankful that we are set free from the law, and we can get it so wrong. In the short time we have this morning, I hope that we can rediscover the heart of the ten words, that we can realize afresh the eternal significance of what we've read, and that we can go out from here into the world with hearts that are inspired, challenged, and set on fire by what we've read and learnt. Perhaps today, more than ever, we need to come back to the ten words. These aren't ten words that bind, ten words that trip us up, or ten words that weigh us down. This morning's message is simply ten words for freedom. Ten words for freedom to know God. Ten words for freedom to be ourselves. And ten words for freedom for today. We won't be able to cover anything near the full scope and depth of everything we could learn from this passage. But let's open our hearts to hear what God has to say to us through his word this morning. So firstly, freedom to know God. Have you ever been a victim of a cheap rip-off? You get something that looks like the real thing, and you're really pleased until you realise that you've been had. My brother-in-law was on holidays in Menorca a few years ago. And he and his wife came back with presents. And I got a rather nice brown leather Calvin Klein belt. And I was chuffed. It looked good. It felt good. And I was very pleased with it. It was only a while later, when I looked at the writing on it, that I realized that all was not as it seemed. And here's what I read. Designed to fade and loose color. Do not bleach. Tubal dry low and can be dry clean. It was a cheap knockoff. You'll be glad to hear that we've recently patched things up and the family are now in speaking terms again. But it's not just in the realm of consumer purchases that we're in danger of falling for the cheap knockoff. It's true in the realm of our worship and religion. And Moses knew that the people of Israel faced this danger too. They were standing on the brink of entering the promised land. And before they took another step, they needed to know that their God, they needed to know their God and needed to, as it was, see the invisible God. And they're about to enter a land filled with idols. And before they did so, they needed to know the uniqueness of their God. The ten words, firstly, tell us about our God. They teach us what he is like. They show us his characteristics. They leave us in no doubt as to what it is he desires. 
and what he wants for his people. So let's look at Deuteronomy 5, these very familiar words, and see here our God and his character revealed. Well, who is it that gave the people these words? Look at verse 6. If the people were in any doubt, God removes it. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. This is Yahweh speaking. The I am, the Lord of lords, the most high God of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth. And this is their saviour speaking, the God who has brought them out of Egypt. The ten words, what they say about God, what claim they have on his people, is firstly based on who God is, Yahweh. And secondly, on what he has done for his people. He has redeemed them and brought them out of Egypt. And in that context, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God claims exclusive sovereignty over his people. He is to be their one and only God. There is no other. If you flick back to the passage in chapter 4 from verse 32 onwards and just skim your eye over a few of the words there, Moses has already made it clear to the people that God is utterly incomparable. You could ask anyone on earth from one end to the other and you would find no greater answer, no God comparing at all to the God of Israel and what he has done for his people. Has any other so-called God achieved anything like what he's achieved in calling out a people for himself. The awesome deeds that he has done, the revelation that he has given his people shows him to be the unique, the one and only, the incomparable sovereign God. The first of the ten words can also be translated as you shall have no other gods besides me. Yahweh is not content to be one among many gods in his people's eyes. What he has said, what he has done, has made it clear that he alone is God. He alone is to command his people's worship. And as the Israelites went into the land of Canaan, they would be exposed to idolatry everywhere they looked. They would see visual representations of gods, awe-inspiring perhaps. And they might be tempted to fall for the cheap knockoff. It looks good. It promises much. It's accessible. It's right there in front of them. But it's not the real thing. A lifeless image. It doesn't speak. It doesn't do anything. How does that compare to the all-knowing, all-powerful God who can do all things? A voiceless, static image is a paralyzed, gagged, pathetic excuse for a God and in no way worth the worship of any man or woman. God is jealous for his his people's loyalty and he demands a monopoly on our love and worship. He's a holy God whose very name is holy and is not to be misused, either in the context of loose swear words or by using it to misrepresent the one and only God. These early chapters of Deuteronomy are fundamental for the people of God and they tell us so much about him and his character. If you look back to chapter 4, verse 24, our God is a jealous God A consuming fire. Let us never think for a moment that God is indifferent as to what his people think of him. 
Let's never for a second entertain the notion that it means nothing to God whether his people honor him or not. He is a jealous God, a consuming fire. And when his people engage in idolatry, that fire is stoked ever higher. But we learn more, for if you look at chapter 431, if God's people seek him and return to him, they will find a merciful and forgiving God. I don't know about you, but when I read these words and think of the people of Israel about to enter the promised land, when I think of the example of their previous generation who didn't trust the Lord, I find it hard to imagine how they could have been seduced by the empty idolatry of the Canaanites. They knew the living God. They had heard his voice. They had seen the mighty works he had done even in their lives. They knew only too well that he was a holy God. A jealous God, a God who commanded his people's absolute loyalty. So how could they turn to empty idols? Well, what about us? We have heard the voice of God as he speaks through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. We know the mighty works he has done even more than the people of Moses' day could dream of. We have the mighty works of God that have been done in our days. As he continues to call out a people for himself. Even the works he's done in our lives. So how can we ever be seduced by the empty promises of idolatry? Oh, but well, we don't bow down to images or worship lifeless, voiceless idols. Sadly, we do. The idols of our modern world, though perhaps more subtle, are more insidious perhaps even more dangerous. Pieces of paper in our wallets. Numbers on a bank statement. The sleek, glossy, flat screen or plasma idols in the corner that actually can be thought thought to have a voice of sorts. Or the pursuit of physical gratification, whether that's in sports or exercise or in relationship with another person. The pursuit of power, or recognition. But perhaps the most insidious of all is the seeking of a comfortable life, a life that might even include a spot somewhere for God, a corner of our life where religion can add to our comfort. It is, in fact, the ultimate idol, self, where we put ourselves and our own comfort on the throne that is rightfully God's. And in all this, we are settling for a cheap knockoff, a fake that will not satisfy. It's no better than a statue of wood or metal. Idolatry is the fundamental human sin that drags us away from the real, the unique, the living God. And to overcome this, we need to come back to the ten words, the book of Deuteronomy, where we see the living God, where we hear his words, where we remember his deeds, what he has done for us, his people where we realize that the freedom to know the one and only God, Yahweh, the creator and ruler of the whole universe, is what sets us free from idols and the empty and pathetic pursuit of them. Don't be enslaved to idols, but come back to him, his words, these words, and get to know him, our God, once more. Secondly, then, freedom to be ourselves. I hate DIY. And two words guaranteed to drive fear into the heart of anyone like me are 
flat packed. My heart sinks. And a few weeks ago, we bought a picnic table for the back garden. And yes, you've guessed it, flat packed. So I set it all out, checked that all the pieces were there, because that's what you've got to do. And I started into the task. And you know, it really wasn't actually too bad. It seemed really straightforward, and I could see how it would all fit together. And I moved ahead confidently. After enlisting the help of all the family to hold strategic bits of it all up together, I weaved my DIY dexterity to join it all up. I assured Alison that I was good, needed no more help, would have it done in no time, let's get the kettle on. Approximately two minutes later, I came back in with the tail between my legs to admit that I needed help once more, as I had to take it all apart and redo it. I'd done it my way, and a key piece had gone in the wrong way. I hadn't paid enough attention to the instructions, and it all turned out wrong, not how it should have been. Now, you can guess the rather obvious point of the illustration, but it holds true nonetheless. If you don't follow the maker's instructions, you don't end up with what you should have. The people of Israel had lived lives of slavery in Egypt, and God had set them free from that. Here they were, about to enter the promised land. So how would this newly freed nation be able to maintain their liberty? And not so much talking about freedom from the onslaught of warring nations around them, but rather freedom from the warring desires of the hearts and the influences that they'd be subjected to. You see, when we come to the ten words, we often approach it as a list of things we are to do or even not to do. But rather, we should see it as who we are to be. These people were the people of God. He had chosen them and called them to himself. How were they to live? How were they to maintain their identity as the people of God? Well, we've already looked at the first three commandments, so let's take a look further on again in chapter 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Well, these people were to be a people who remember that all time belongs to God, and that the use of their time, their work, was not to become an idol either. They were to celebrate what God had done in creation by recognizing that the earth is the Lord and remembering what he had done for them. And they were to be a people that did not oppress or enslave anyone in their workforce or society. It was for the good of their nation. And then from the society to the family, honouring father and mother was not just a message for the young children, but to speak of the value of family life, the respect and integrity of the households. And if you look at the passage there, the health of their families and households was a key to things going well with them. And how true that is. As his people knew themselves to be in the image of God and that their lives bore this image, They were to defend the right to life and acknowledge their accountability before God for the lives of their fellow human beings. And the family is again the focus, as adultery is not just simply a matter of private morality, but is a crime against God and a threat to the nation's relationship with God. People of God do not make unjust gains at the expense of others. And as God's character is holy and truthful, so God's people uphold truth also. But God's people are not just his in their actions, but in their thoughts too, as God claims our desires. We're not to inwardly covet, as this is the seed for destruction for many of the other qualities of God's people we've just looked at. Especially as it sets our affections on things that take the very place of God himself. Well, what is the world around us like? 
They do not know God or worship him. They are pursuing whatever idol they please and not acknowledging the holy name of God. The world cares little for balancing time and work, for protecting the oppressed or enslaved, for taking time to remember God. The world has broken families through lack of respect for parents, through broken marriages and adultery. The image of God is trampled as human life is devalued and taken at will. If you don't get caught, you can take whatever you want, no matter who it belongs to. Truth? Truth is relative and is whatever that's convenient for you. And as for your heart's desires, well, just go ahead and seek whatever you want, for you're worth it. Is that the world you want to live in? Is that the people that you want to belong to? Is that the sort of person that you want to be? Who are God's people? They're those that have no other God but Yahweh, their Redeemer. They're not seduced by idols because they need no cheap knockoff as they have the real, living, unique God in their lives. They worship him and reverence his holy name. Their families are strong, united. Children honor parents. Parents love their children and the marriages are pure. Life is upheld, valued and protected. Property is respected. Truth is absolute. It's not negotiable. And desires are subdued to that which glorifies their one and only God. Is this not the world you want to be a part of? Because these ten words tell us not only who God is, but they tell us who we are. Oh yes, we are guilty of falling into the world's camp at times, at selling ourselves short and of falling for the cheap knockoff. But we are the people of God. And more than these words telling us a list of what we are to do and not to do, these words are a prescription of our identity. We are God's people. This is who we are. This is how we live. And as Christians, knowing and realizing the redemptive work of Christ, we have been set free from sin. We are set free from being people of the world, and we are free to be God's people. We are free to live as he wants us to live. Well then, freedom for today. Maybe some of you are sitting there and thinking that I'm getting really all Old Testament here and drawing us back to the law. What relevance can these words have for us today? Do they apply? Are we not free from law? And well, do we not live by grace? Well, let's try to work through some of these questions and see what value the ten words have for us today. Well, do these words apply beyond the generation to whom they were given? Look at chapter 5, verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. So Moses tells the people that the covenant was made with them, the current generation. It applies to them. What he means is that it was not only with the previous generation, but it was as if the Lord had spoken to this generation of people themselves. So the covenant continues to the next generation. But does it apply to us today? Is this not a covenant of law? Obedience to obtain salvation? What about grace? Well, if we look closely, we'll see it is all of grace. 
even back then. God has always been a God of grace and he does not change. Look again at chapter 5, verse 6. God, speaking before he gives the ten words, says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here we have salvation. Remember, God has already saved his people from slavery. He has redeemed them from Egypt. And in the context of already having saved his people, he now gives them the means of responding to him in obedience. Chris Wright, in his commentary on this passage, says, The commandments were given to Israel, not so they could perhaps gain salvation by keeping them, but because God had already redeemed them, and this was how they were to live in the light of that fact. This isn't legalism. This isn't being bound by law. This is about the hearts of newly redeemed people, saved by God's grace, responding to him in obedience, showing themselves to be his people by the way their lives have been changed. This is real, true grace in operation. And God's covenant with his people has always been based on his grace. And we know this only so well as we can see what he has done for us in Christ. The ten words don't bring us salvation, but they're a demonstration of it in our lives. And as if this was not enough encouragement for us to take these ten words to heart and seek God's strength to live them out each day, we can gain even more encouragement from what else we've read. So why else should we obey our God? Look at chapter 4, verse 6, which we read. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The nations, the world, is watching They may not go as far as realising the true source of our behaviour or our difference, but our lives may be the only Bible, or at least the first Bible, that many people read. There's an evangelistic, a missiological emphasis to following our God in obedience. And there's more. There's personal encouragement. A recurring theme that occurs in so many verses in this book is highlighted again, chapter 5, verses 32 and 33. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. The land would be given. It was the gift of God by grace. But the full possession of it, the enjoyment of it, the security within it would be taken hold of through obedience to God. And it's the same with us today in the kingdom of God. Yes, we are saved by grace alone. But how do we know the full blessing of God in our Christian lives? It's as we walk in the ways of God. It's by doing that that we will have life. As Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. Life to the full. So more than ever today, God's people, Christians, we here in Windsor Baptist need to be people of the ten words. God has laid out the priorities of life here. God, society, family, individual life, sex, property, things. But our world has turned this on its head, where property, things and sex are put before individual life, before family, before society and before God. So let's break free from this worldly slavery. Our God of grace has redeemed us. 
Here in the ten words, he gives us the means to live out our free lives today in this world. And as we conclude, I just want to read again some of the climactic verses from the end of chapter 4. Verses 39 and 40 for us to take with us this week. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Let us remember that these ten words remind us that we have the wonderful, amazing freedom to know the unique, incomparable living God of the universe. Let us remember that we are the people of God, that these ten words show us the freedom to live as the people we are, as God has intended us to be. And let us remember that this freedom is for us today, as individuals, as a church here in Windsor, as the body of Christ in this world, this world that is crying out for freedom. And may God in his grace give us the strength to take hold of our freedom.